We'll hear argument next in case 07608, United States versus Hayes. Ms. Saharsky. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Respondent's conviction for battering his wife is a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence, primarily for two reasons. First, the statutory text is most naturally read that way. Second, a contrary reading would defeat Congress's purposes. Nine courts of appeals have determined that the text does not require domestic relationship to be an element of the predicate offense. That's because the statute's text uses only one element, using the singular word element, which relates to mode of aggression. It then introduces a new concept related to domestic relationship, using a comma and the word committed. The word committed naturally modifies the word offense. In common usage, a person commits an offense. He doesn't commit a use or attempted use of physical force. Under respondent's reading of the statute, when it was enacted, it would have become immediately a dead letter in two-thirds of the states, and it wouldn't have any application to the federal government. And that respondent says uh, that may be because a lot of people in Congress wanted it to be a dead letter. They would have wanted the whole thing to be a dead letter. There are a lot of people who, who didn't like uh, uh, this statute because it, it was a gun control statute. But, but Congress did enact this statute, and this Court presumes two things. First, if it's a compromise with the people who wanted no statute at all, and you come out with a statute that, that covers one-third of the states anyway, I mean, that's, you know, that's the deal. There was a compromise made, but it wasn't with respect to whether there needed to be a domestic relationship element. It was with respect to how violent the offense had been. How do we know? How do we know that? Well, if you look at the statute's drafting history, there were two ver- versions considered. One used the term crime of violence to discuss how violent the statute had to be. And then the second substituted in the new language has as an element the use or attempted use of physical force or threatened use of a deadly but weapon. But it also substituted this, this uh, structure that we're, that we're discussing today. Didn't well, that come in at the same time? The, so the, why, why, why say it's, it's only the, the former provision that was the compromise and not, not the addition of this uh, later language? Both the original structure and the statute as enacted had the same structure in that they, they had a committed by clause that modified the word offense. Now, it's true that the use uh, has as an element language that came in added some additional structure in terms of the Romanet 1 and the Romanet 2, but that all came in because there was a discussion about how violent the offense had to be. Both in the original statute that was considered, you have an offense committed by a certain person, an offense of a certain type committed by a certain person, and in the statute that was enacted, you have an offense of a certain type committed by a certain person. Now, Congress put more detail in, in terms of what that certain type of offense is. This has as an element language. But it just didn't go to domestic relationship. And to get back to one of the earlier uh, points in your question, you know, this Court presumes when Congress passes a statute, two things are true. First, it, it knows the legal backdrop on which it enacts a law. And second, that it's presumed that its law is going to have effect. And that, that should be especially true here, where Congress was dealing with a serious nationwide problem of domestic violence using firearms. Congress the suggestion was that Congress may have wanted to give an incentive to states to have special domestic violence statutes instead of punishing domestic abusers under a, a generic battery statute. I don't think that makes sense for two reasons. First, because when Congress wants to do that, it, it uses its spending power 
to give the states incentives to do things like that. And it did that in the VAWA enactment in, in two, 1994 and in VAWA reauthorization in 2005. And second, because if you believe what respondents suggest, you'd have to think that a Congress that was very concerned about the putter keg situation of a domestic offender with a gun would want to exempt domestic offenders who have proven that they're willing to hurt family members in two-thirds of the state. A Congress that was presumed, that, that was concerned with the problem of domestic violence would enact a statute that would apply so infrequently to at most these 17 states and wouldn't apply it all to federal offenses, making that misdemeanor under federal law language superfluous. Counsel, I understand your objection to the reading that your friend would uh, uh, have us adopt, but you have the same sort of problem. I mean, you've got to, if it reads the way you would have it, then the word uh, that after an offense that uh, doesn't quite work, and you have to add uh, is before is committed if you're going to keep the that. So it seems to me that this doesn't work grammatically either way. I don't think that that's right with respect, Your Honor, because you have an offense that is of a certain character committed by a certain person. But, but, but you changed the word. You, you read it as if it says an offense that committed. So either the that is out or you've got to add the word is. I think that the word offense is twice modified. There is an offense that is of a certain character, and there is an offense committed by a certain Yeah, okay. You use the word that in the first uh, uh, example, but you skip the word that in the second. That appears in the, in the line, and then comes little i and little i2. In other words, that modifies both of them. And the, your reading is that it's an offense committed, and yet under the statute it has to be an offense that committed. So you've either got to leave that out the second time, but not the first, or you've got to add the word is, as it appears on, in little i. What I'm suggesting, Your Honor, is that the that uh, refers to everything that is in Romanet 1 and 2 up to the break with committed by, so that it is an offense that is a misdemeanor and has as an element committed by. You know, these, these two different clauses both modify offense, just as a grammatical matter, not looking at this Romanet 1, one and 2, but just looking Romanet, at this sentence. What? Oh, a little, Roman, what, little Roman numeral. I've never heard that before. That's good. <laughs> Romanet. If, if you just look at this as a sentence, you have an offense um, that is a misdemeanor and has as an element committed by. Now, that committed by clause, it could have come after offense or it could be in the, the place where it is now. There are just these two different ways that offense is qualified. Yeah, I mean, you have the that, and the that applies to both one and two, and this is part of two. I think you've got to either say that committed or or... Or put in an is that is committed. It, it, it just doesn't parse, and and that lack of parsing is much worse than the one that you you point to uh, in the other side's reading. Uh, yes, it's not usual to talk about uh, committing a use of force, but it happens sometimes. It's uh, it's. Uh, not the, the most elegant language, but there are many examples of such usage that have been brought forth by, by the other side and by some of the amici. So they have something. That it, it's, it's not elegant, but people have spoken that way. Nobody speaks the way you want us to speak. An offense that committed by a person, or uh, an offense that, uh, blah, 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 committed by a current or firm, Nobody talks that way. Two responses. Nobody. Two responses, Your Honor. First, the committed by language refers back to offense, and the that is just part of this, this first clause. 
But se- and, and we believe that the government's reading is, is the most logical reading. And think of it this way. You know, respondent agrees that if there were a hard return before the committed by language, that, that it's clear that the, it would be more clear that the government's reading is correct. Well, I wouldn't agree with that. You'd still have the that up above. You, you, you would have to have a hard return and take out the that. Or, or, or uh, that A is a misdemeanor, has an element, uh, and then a hard return, and you'd have to add, and is committed. You, you still have to add language besides the hard return. With respect, Your Honor, we think this can be read as all one sentence, but just to make my second point, which is I think that it would do much more violence, respondents' reading of the statute, than you suggest, because you're talking about treating the singular word element as plural. You're talking about ignoring the comma that separates the has as an element section from the committed by section, and then you're talking about taking what even the linguists who filed a brief in this case, essentially in support of respondents, say is a very weird usage of Uh, committed. I'm sorry, I'm not following why element is singular. The argument on the other side, I understood, is that the element is the use of physical force committed by a current or former spouse. So element is still singular. I don't, or maybe I'm missing something. It's why, what change would you have to make to the word element to adopt their reading? We think that you'd say, you'd have to say has as its elements to suggest that you would take two very diverse concepts and make them both required elements of the, under, the underlying offense. There are two concepts here. One is how violent the offense has to be, and then there's the second concept, which is a class of defendants, and that's, that's a very different concept, that if you just see the singular element has as an element, and then you see, oh, okay, it has to be violent. Well, but I thought the whole point of this was to get at violence committed by a family member. And if that's the critical element, you don't have to have two different elements, violence and then committed. It's violence committed by a family member. Well, with respect, Your Honor, we think that because Congress broke these up into these two different clauses, one that relates to violence and then a separate clause that's introduced by committed by where committed naturally modifies offense, that it was treating that these were two separate requirements. And you're right that Congress was trying to get at the problem of violent domestic offenses. And if it was doing that, it would make no sense at all for Congress to to have enacted a statute that would have such extremely limited application. And, of course, respondents' reading would make the is a misdemeanor under federal law superfluous. If we think that there are two uh, awkward readings, yours and your your friends, and both of them require surgery. Uh, Don't we resolve that under the rule of lenity? No. The rule of lenity says that there needs to be a grievous ambiguity after this Court seizes any aid which can be derived from the tools of statutory interpretation. So even though we think that the text here is most naturally read in the government's way, every other indicia of meaning here points in favor of the government's interpretation. But what's the underlying rationale for the rule of lenity, which is a rule I think we should apply with great caution? But if we think What's the reason for the rule of lenity? I think one of the the main concerns is providing fair notice of what's illegal. Fair notice. It it seems to me um, that if I were a counsel practicing criminal law in the private sector and I negotiated a plea for simple assault, uh, but there was a spouse that was involved, and then I walked down the courthouse step with my client and said, we got a good deal. And incidentally, all guns in your house must immediately be surrendered uh, to other people. You must take them all out. You may never hunt. You may never possess a gun. And under your view, if I don't say that, I'm guilty of, it seems to me, serious malpractice. I just don't see that there's notice to the legal profession. 
Well, certainly, Your Honor, we think that the statutory text is clear, and that's because people are presumed to know the law. Certainly a person who has beaten his wife knows that, well, you know, the, the assault he was convicted rule, of isn't no, against where, his wife. The context is we're, we're asking why the rule of lenity, and the rule of lenity is to ensure notice. And it seems to me this is a classic case where there has to be notice. Now, you could come back and say that even if the statute had been written uh, as to, to apply specifically to domestic crimes, a lot of attorneys wouldn't have had notice on it wouldn't, when it was an omnibus budget bill added at the last minute. Your Honor, it, it was at the time that this statute was enacted the case that very few states had statutes with a domestic relationship requirement, only 17. And to be clear, in those 17 states, those all covered more domestic relationships than the federal statute. They covered things like dating relationships, um, violence involving grandparents, etc. So that even from the face of your state conviction, you wouldn't be able to just match it right up with this federal offense. And the fact that those 17 states, A, that there was such a small number, and B, that those states cover a different range <coughs> there of There was a small, a small number. Were they populous states? Yeah. Um, I think it was a range of states. I don't think I could say it was all the most populous or all the least populous states. California, New York. Um, you know, I'd have to look at the list. I think that California's came in later. No, California did have um, one statute. New York did not. But, you know, one thing that's worth noticing in this case is that, you know, the Senator, Senator Lautenberg, who was the sponsor of this legislation, was from New Jersey. And under respondents' reading of the statute, it, it wouldn't have even applied to offenses committed in New Jersey. And that, that seems like an odd thing to believe. And, of course, it went to apply to federal offenses ask, despite the — May I ask, just to be sure I understand the alternate reading, is it your view that the statute does mean the same as if, after the word deadly weapon, there had been inserted a parenthetical I-I-I, close parent, is committed by it? In other words, the — Element of attempted force is one, is the second requirement, and the third requirement be that it be committed by a current or former spouse. Yes, I so, think. So your, your, your reading, I'm just following up on the Chief Justice's question, requires us to assume that ca- Congress really intended there to be a, th- a, th- a triple I as well as a double I, and the triple I would have begun with the verb is. I think that that's one way of doing it, but I don't think that you have to do that, because if you look at the structure of this sentence — But it is true, is it not, that if you did do it that way, it would have been a lot clearer than it is now? There are ways that Congress could have made its manifest intent even more clear. It could have added that Romanet 3. It could have put a hard return before committed by. But if you look at the effect that this statute would have, if you read it respondent's way, I don't think that we can reasonably expect that Congress, a Congress that wanted to get at the serious nationwide problem of domestic violence using firearms, would have wanted to enact a statute that would have such limited effect. I want to follow up on Justice Kennedy's uh, inquiry about the rule of lenity. Don't, don't you think the rule of lenity is particularly important when you're dealing with conduct that is not malum in se? I mean, to say that, uh, well, we're not going to apply the rule of lenity to a statute that uh, posits uh, an increased sentence for, for kneecapping or for some violent conduct. The person knows he shouldn't be doing that stuff anyway. But this imposes a, a, a penalty for conduct that no one would think is unlawful. This fellow's what, what, 
It was his father's gun he was taking to, uh, to uh, sell at a, a gun show or something? There were five firearms. There was one found in his home, uh, three that he transferred, and one that he sold. He could have ten, couldn't he? Well, we would hope that it, he wouldn't in this situation, what? but well, I mean, because he's been convicted of a serious violent offense, and I think that's no, the distinction. But, but for this language that you say makes his owning of a firearm unlawful, it wouldn't be unlawful at all, would it? He would have no reason to think he couldn't have a firearm. I think that a person who's been committed of a violent offense should be on notice that their possession of firearms should be, could be is regulated. That right? Yes, a I mean, misdemeanor. Since the founding a misdemeanor of offense, and, 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 and he should suspect that because he committed a misdemeanor, he cannot have a firearm? When I don't think anybody would assume that. Indeed, there are some who assume that you, you, you cannot prevent the owning of a firearm for a mere misdemeanor as opposed to a felony. I understand that concern. We're not talking about mere, mere misdemeanors here. We're talking about a specific category of violent misdemeanors. Section 929G9 specifically That's is right. only Make it category. clear. Make it clear so that when his, when his lawyer pleads uh, t- to the offense, he doesn't have to uh, uh, read in a little three where there is not a little three. And, and he's, well, this is, you, you, you did not plead guilty or you are not accused of the offense of using violence against a family member. You're just just accused of, of, of using violence, a misdemeanor. Two thoughts on that, Your Honor. The first is, you know, at the time that this statute was enacted, almost all of the states, except for this small number, prosecuted offenses that were domestic disturbance offenses, like the one in this case, under general assault and battery statutes. And even the 17 states that have those with a domestic relation, offenses with a domestic relationship requirement, still prosecute them routinely as assault and battery under those general statutes. So I think a person, A, an attorney who handles those kind of cases would have knowledge of that law, and B, a person who has committed a serious violent offense, like respondent's previous offense in this case, should be on notice that his possession of firearms might be regulated. It Wait, wouldn't be the case. A serious violent offense. Are, are, are there fel- is there felony assault and battery? Yes. And this was misdemeanor assault and battery, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. I mean, I really... So it's not that serious an offense. That's why we call it a misdemeanor. Well, I mean, certainly the offense in this particular case was serious. The charging document reflects that respondent hit his wife all around the face until it swelled up, kicked her all around her body, kicked her in the ribs. He should have been charged with a felony, but he wasn't. He was charged with a misdemeanor. Wasn't this this statute responding to just that problem, that domestic abuse tended to be charged as misdemeanors rather than felonies? And it was that fact that the senator was responding to when he included misdemeanor. The whole purpose of this was to make a misdemeanor battery count for the statute's purpose. That's exactly right, Justice Ginsburg. All of the discussion of this in Congress said we need to have a zero-tolerance people who, who uh, zero-tolerance policy towards people who are, have proven that they're willing to commit violent acts against family members. And we already have a statute that prohibits felons from possessing firearms. But we know that sometimes these domestic offenses get charged as misdemeanors. And Senator Lautenberg specifically said in the legislative record they are often charged as offenses like assault and battery. And we need to get at these offenses because these people should not have firearms. They should not put their families in that type of powder keg situation. And they should, we should not be putting police in that type of situation where police who respond to a domestic disturbance call, like the 911 call in this case, are, are 
put in a, a dangerous situation with a person, an emotionally charged situation, who would have a firearm. One other point that I wanted to make with respect to your question, Justice Scalia, and this is not with respect to how this case should be resolved, but just as a, a practical matter, that the VAWA 2005 amendments uh, do require states for condition of their grant funding to have a judicial policy that gives notice for offenses like assault and battery that a person would not be able to possess a firearm. And the reason that they're doing that is not because, you know, as a constitutional matter, we think that they, they need to, but because they really, Congress just really wants to keep firearms away from people who've shown that they're willing to hurt family members in this way. Uh, now, I talked a little bit at the beginning of argument about how really every, uh, every indicia of meaning in this case, and we do look to, to each of those different interpretive tools before we would invoke the rule of lenity, points in favor of the government's construction. First of all, you've got the text, and I think we've, we've covered those arguments. But just as a, a practical matter, this statute would have an extremely limited effect if it didn't, uh, if it were interpreted as respondents suggest. The language with respect to federal misdemeanors would be superfluous because the way that federal offenses like domestic assaults on Army bases are charged is under a general federal assault statute. There isn't one that's specific to domestic violence. So Congress would have put this misdemeanor under federal law language in there, and it, it would have immediately had no effect either. Um, you know, the well, it seems uh, there is no federal misdemeanor that covers this particular type of assault, in other words? There's, there's a general federal assault statute, right. but it doesn't have a domestic relationship requirement, and, and that's the problem. You know, we also looked to the drafting history just a bit, and I, I think that, you know, every, indici- every indication in the drafting history, both if you compare the first version of the bill with the statute that was enacted and the discussion relating to it shows that this language has as an element was really only intended to get at how violent an offense had to be. It, it was never intended to get at a, any kind of domestic relationship requirement. And, of course, the, the sponsor — I think, I think that people are governed by the law that is passed, not by the law that Congress intended to pass. That's exactly and, right, and, Justice. And so, really, if, if a lawyer reading this would not think that it applied, I, I don't care what Congress intended. If, if the law doesn't say that, the person is not governed by it. You, you think a person could be governed by it uh, despite the fact that it doesn't say that because Congress intended of course not, Justice Scalia. We look to the text first, but we also look to other indicia. Many of us also look to other indicia of Congress's intent, and some of those indicia include things like a comparison of the drafting history and Senator Lautenberg's statement, which is directly on point here, which says that offenses like assault and battery would be covered. This was a, a powerful well, tool. how does that relate with the rule of lenity? I suppose to get back to Justice Kennedy's point, you're saying that the lawyer uh, would not only be obligated to read this, but in advising his client would be obligated to go back and read the drafting history and uh, legislative history. Do we really use those types of materials to trump the, the rule of lenity? This Court has, in, in multiple cases, looked to the fact that the statute, for example, would have such a narrow, limited purpose, in addition to the statute's text, to say, you know, we can't believe Congress would expect that purpose. So the lawyer advising his client in a typical assault case is supposed to know at the time that only 17 states had this type of provision? I think it was well known at the time that these offenses, even in the 17 states that had the domestic relationship element, 
or common, commonly prosecuted as assault and battery offenses. And this Court has, for example, let's consider the Taylor case where this Court was considering the example of burglary and trying to define, should we pick this narrow common law definition of burglary or a more expansive definition of burglary? And aside from looking at the legislative history, there's a separate section of the Court's opinion where you said, look, if we took this narrow common law definition of burglary, it would apply basically nowhere, and we just can't think that Congress intended that. And you didn't go right to the rule of lenity there. You looked at, for example, how that frustration of congressional purpose would occur and and the problem that that would cause. If there are no further questions, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Gattras. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. The fundamental flaw in the government's argument is that it describes a statute that Congress considered but did not pass. In the statute's final version, Congress defined the misdemeanor crime of domestic violence to require that the predicate offense have as an element a domestic relationship between the offender and the victim. And the government's reading ignores the legislative compromise that led to the contested language, and if adopted by this Court, would rewrite the statute and hand one side the legislative victory that they were unable to achieve in Congress. Well, they, you, you say that that was a compromise. I don't know that you have any evidence to, to show that that was an intentional, uh, an intentional alteration made in the House of Representatives. Do you? I mean, there is nothing that speaks to the words in the House of Representatives in the congressional record, Your Honor, but it is their inaction and the lack of words speak very loudly. And it was from March of 1996 when the legislation was introduced, and then it went over to the House after uh, passing significantly in the Senate, it was stalled and it was stymied and it did not move. As a matter of fact, it had to at one time be taken from a, uh, in, and put into the stalking bill and then removed from the stalking bill and replaced back in then to a postal bill, which was then modified into the appropriation. But the other side says that the reason uh, that was the case was that they objected to the fact that, uh, uh, what was it, language, uh, uh, the, the old uh, version did not say uh, a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence. It was, it was broader. It certainly was broader, but there was nothing and there was no one that spoke in the House of Representatives on that matter, and there was only one, um, the principal author of the legislation, or the sponsor, spoke in the Senate. And it was not until the 11th hour on September 28th of 1996 that this entire change was made. I thought it was that the use of force to make it clear that the misdemeanor had to involve a use of force, and that wasn't clear before, right? The Where's the earlier version? Do, do, do we have the earlier version anywhere? Yes. Materials in front of us? Appendix B, page 5A of the red brief. I'm sorry, uh, page 4A of the red brief. Thank you. I apologize. Well, while we pause, can I just ask you one question to be sure I understand the two, two different positions? Your view of the uh, subsection double I is that the meaning you attributed to it is exact, would be exactly the same if you left out the word committed. Uh, 
In other words, from the, it seems to me under your view, the word either the word committed or the word committed by is superfluous. No, that is part of the element, um, uh, the one element that is required. Uh, Why would you need that in there if the statute means if the element is the use of force by a family member? Why do you have to put in another verb, committed? Well, because that's who, uh, that's who it would, that's who it would uh, address to. Um, and that would be with respect to when you look at the definition that's set forth that would change from the original uh, intent, uh, the original. Well, I'm, I'm not interested in changes. I'm just interested in the text before us. And it seems to me that your reading of the statute is exactly what the statute would say if it did not include the word committed. I, 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 don't, I don't know, uh, Justice. I don't believe so, though. Um, well, read, uh, I agree with Justice Stevens. Read it without the word committed. It, it not only has the same effect, but it's more natural because it's use of force by a current or former spouse as opposed to use of force committed by. It, it, would, still include, it would still include both uh, attributes into the one element, even if the word committed were removed uh, from double I. Yeah. Yes, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. As I read this old one, as I read the first one, Senator Lautenberg put in the language, and his language in the first one was to say, I'll tell you a group of people who shouldn't have guns, the people who commit a crime of domestic violence. Now, what's that? In his statute, he says, it is a misdemeanor crime of violence committed by a person in a family relation with the victim. Then he says after, I changed that language a little. I'll tell you why. Because somebody told me misdemeanor crime of violence is too broad. It could include cutting up a credit card. So I'll define it more specifically. And he defines it more specifically to say that it is a crime that has as an element the use or attempted use of physical force or threatening people with a weapon. End of the matter. They substitute those words. And they did another thing, the drafter, is he breaks out a thing and says, it is an, a crime. That is a misdemeanor and, you see. And that's where the problem is, because if you put in a that, then you have to have an is. So he left out the is. Okay, so I say, what did Senator Lautenberg want with these words? I see. How did he change it? I see. I can't find a word that supports the reason that you have. Now, maybe they're there. That's what you'll tell me. And then I say, it is the final language consistent with what he wanted. It requires putting it in is. But I don't find that too awful. Okay. That's your argument against you. What is it? Your argument to rebut that. The legislation that the Senator introduced was not the legislation uh, that was passed by Congress. That I know. It is very, and Justice Breyer, it is very clear from the statutory and legislative history in this case, uh, from if you just take up through September 28th of 1996, that, that the sponsor of the legislation uh, decries with respect to the staunch opposition that was in the House and the fact that his bill was going nowhere. This may have been his intended purpose with respect to what was introduced, but it was then the will of Congress with changing. That's the conclusion. I, you're reaching that conclusion. What I need from you is something that would tell me 
No. Congress didn't just want to clarify in the way Lautenberg said. What they wanted to do was, in fact, restrict the scope of this so it only applied in 17 states. Okay, I'm open to that argument. It could be a good argument. Just point me to the things that suggest that that is what Congress wanted to do, rather than what Senator Lautenberg said. By, ta by taking a look at the final passed in, uh, legislation. No, I've got the words. If, you, if the no, best you can no. do is point me to the words of the statute, I'll take that into account. I'm asking the question to see if there is anything at all more. Other than the fact that the structure of the statute also changed, and the structure of the statute changed. I don't want the text. I want something for my purposes. What we have, yeah, okay. and, and what, is, what is problematic here, uh, Justice, is that the uh, legislative history does not speak on this particular matter. It, it is silent on did that. Did this structure come from Senator Lautenberg? No, it did not. Where did it come from? It, is, it has to be presumed that it came from uh, — we don't know exactly where, but it I came out of the House and uh, the House of Representatives on September 20th. came out of the House version. The House version had this, which was different from the Senate version that Lautenberg was responsible no, for. No, this was a version that was uh, passed in the Senate, uh, is the as-introduced language. It then went and it, was sat, it sat in the House of Representatives for a long period of time. It was not until September 28th, uh, prior, right prior to the time that the budget bill would have to have been um, sent back to, sent to the Senate to be voted on and then approved by the President to continue the government from run to run. And this bill was changed then in the House of Representatives on, um, at the 11th hour. And so th this language came from the House? Yes, it did. And no, so Senator, Lott excuse me, Senator Lott Lautenberg would, would not have been the drafter of this language? The, uh, Senator Lautenberg does not disagree uh, that he came to an agreement w on this language. Sorry, you're saying that Senator Lautenberg did not change the words misdemeanor crime of violence uh, to the words uh, uh, use of physical force or threatened use of deadly weapon? That's what he got up on the floor of the Senate and said that he wanted to change. Well, Justice, uh, as, as this Court has articulated in Alapata, um, that sometimes there can be a strategic manipulation to secure results. No, I'm not, I'm, we're in, the question specifically is where did the words come from? I thought that the words came from Senator Lautenberg. The reason I thought that is because he got up on the floor of the Senate and said that's what he did. Now, if you're telling me they came from a different place, what is there in anywhere? I'm, I'm open to hearing it. But I, I couldn't find anything that said they come from a different place. They would have come from the House of Representatives. What do you mean would have? Did this language come over to the Senate from the House or not? Yes. Oh. So the, yeah. the, the, the uh, language on physical force came from the House. That's what you're saying? I'm just trying to be clear. Threatened use of it. Uh, it yeah. might have. I'm, I'm not the, criticizing. I want to know. The use or attempted use of physical force or the threatened use of a deadly weapon language, including the, the words misdemeanor crime of domestic violence, came over from the House. Oh. This very form that was ultimately enacted was the form that came over from the House to the Senate? Yes, Your Honor. All right. Making progress. And you're saying then in the House there were some people who didn't want it to extend to beyond 17 states? Yes, Your Honor. And how do we know that? Well, by the mere fact that they, 
we don't have them speaking to it because there was no actual uh, uh, congressional record of them speaking to it or someone taking to the floor in the House of Representatives. It's absolutely silent. We have to uh, instead go back to what Senator Lautenberg was saying on the floor of the Senate during this period of time where he made very clear that what was occurring to his bill, that it was dying, that it was being killed and it was being gutted. Um, uh, in September of early to late September of 1996, the, the author says that his bill is being gutted and it's, being, it's dying and that there are significant staunch uh, opposition from certain forces in order to limit the bill. Other and, than a desire to weaken this bill as much as possible, can you think of any reason why Congress would have drawn the distinction that you're drawing between states that have specific statutes relating to domestic violence, misdemeanor statutes, and those that don't? I don't think we can speak why certain states did or did not, or why Congress would only want there to be 17. But certainly there's nothing, and there's nothing in the legislative history to express other than the fact that it was the effect of a judicial, I mean, of a legislative compromise. But what sense would it make for Congress to say, we'll take two abusers, the conduct is identical, and in State A, there's one consequence, the bar on the possession of guns. In State B, there isn't. But the identical conduct, why would Congress want these two different results? It was the, the language that was ultimately agreed upon by the entire Congress, uh, Your Honor, was as a result of a compromise. And that I suppose it gives greater assurance of what exactly the prior conviction was. If there's just a prior conviction of misdemeanor violence, you have to go back, I suppose, and look at the uh, conviction, look at the testimony, to find out whether indeed it was domestic violence. If it's just a general general uh, uh, assault statute, you don't know that it was committed uh, in the home or not. Whereas if you're, con if you're convicted of the crime, the misdemeanor of violence against a spouse or a relative like this, you know exactly what the, what the crime is. You, you, you will know that, um, uh, certainly. And by even the, the text of the statute, it changes from a crime of violence yeah. to the definition now, of misdemeanor. I, I, I understand that, that, that when someone uh, purchases a firearm, uh, they have to uh, affirm uh, check a box, I have been convicted of a crime of domestic violence. Is that how it reads? And that goes to, uh, you know, to the federal government and they, they check the, uh, the records of, uh, of convictions. How, how, how would your client check that? I have been, con I have been convicted of a crime of domestic violence. If he had been convicted of assault, and the, the assault happened to be domestic assault. Would, would, would he be perjuring himself if he said no? And there are, there are cases that are prosecuted in that manner where also lying on the form uh, gives charge, gives rise to a uh, federal offense. And the ATF regulation is, reads the statute Slight, it reads a statute significantly different and puts in parentheticals such as assault and or battery and also puts in parentheticals um, 
um, how they use the word was committed in a in a third subparagraph. Does it make clear whether the offense has to be domestic a domestic violence offense, or whether an ordinary assault offense will qualify if, as a matter of fact, it was domestic? Well, it, it, the ATF regulation denotes that you should even put it down if it's going to be an assault. And you, I don't understand what you said. Uh, the ATF regulation is in Appendix F uh, to our red brief on page 12A. And it's drafted the way the statute should have been drafted. Isn't that interesting? In other words, it breaks out the was committed by a current or former spouse and makes that a, a separate provision rather than uh, uh, a part of the element use of attempted force against a family member. That is correct, uh, Your Honor. But that oh, it's, it's drafted the way it should have been if your <laughs> if your friends were correct. It, it's, that, it, it's drafted the way it it's drafted the way the original sponsor of the legislation would have wanted it to pass Congress, Your Honor, uh, Chief Justice. The, um, the, the, the statute uses the word element in the term singular. Uh, it seems to me that although this statute is a mess anyway, that uh, that. That that doesn't particularly help you. Elements usually refer to each component of the actus reus uh, or the men's. You entered a dwelling with a weapon. We would say elements for that. Uh, and it seems to me under your interpretation, the statute should say elements. Well, I think that the uh, the best advice is to take that of Judge Sentel's uh, dissenting opinion in Barnes, where um, element or elements is insignificant, the, the plural of it. Instead, it's uh, what is the element as opposed to how many elements there are. Well, I mean, when we're grasping for straws, I'm not sure anything's insignificant. Well, and in this particular matter, um, when seeking um, — if after seizing everything from which the aid can or may be derived, I think we can only guess as to Congress's intent. And I but think suppose this statute, the one that was enacted, had the word if before committed. Would that then convey the meaning that the government is urging? That has as an element the use of force, comma, if committed. Well, that may make it slightly even more vague, uh, 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 Justice, um, because then it's whether or not it's even part or parcel, or wh whether it is or isn't part of it. Um, here, well, if, at least if with committed, would would break from use of force. Uh, the element is the use of force, but then the crime would have to have been committed by a current or former spouse. So wouldn't 
and if separate what is the element that is use of force? I don't believe that the use of the word if um, changes our position. Um, well, sure it would, just, just as and is. Yeah, well, was. If, I mean, if you want to add words, you can add if, you can add, add is, as is, you could. Uh, well, and that's correct. We write the statute a lot of ways. Well, and, and one way is this statute denotes that there's a Part C, of which there is no Part C. Um, this, this statute also lacks, even though it's very insignificant, uh, in and of its, by itself, it lacks a period at the very end of double I. Again, no one particular point can be, would say that we would allow that punctuation to overcome um, the purpose or overcome the, the, the text. But when taken as a whole, when you have the text and an inartfully drafted statute that references sections that don't exist, that has grammatical errors in it, and that leaves things up to the reader to have to decide whether something is involved or not involved, and you also then have a lack of um, a sufficient congressional record, then I believe that um, it certainly uh, is, is favored to look at the rule of lenity in this case. I do want to also um, uh, Do you really think there's a notice problem here? If you had been advising Mr. Hayes after he was convicted of this misdemeanor and you read this, would you say, well, you know, you're, it's a good thing that you were convicted of this in West Virginia where there isn't a specific uh, statute targeting domestic violence because it doesn't cover you? If you had been convicted in another state under a specific domestic violence statute, and you wouldn't be able to possess firearms, but you're, you're home free because of the, the nature of the statute in your state. I believe it would have been in 1993, 94 time period, it would have been very difficult. It, would have been, it should have been very easy to, to uh, advise Mr. Hayes with respect to that issue, um, certainly, that he would not have, uh, have lost his rights at that point. Um, thereafter, when Congress passed this statute, um, then I believe that um, it, does it become a little murky? It probably does become a little murky. Uh, after you have the hindsight of being able to, one, take a look um, at the legislative record, if that's the necessary, and or consider that, and or if you take a look at the ATF regulation, the only problem is the ATF regulation takes, it, takes us back in time to what they would have, what would have been or what they would have liked to have been as opposed to what was actually legislated. But if counsel advising... Mr. Hayes surely would have looked at what was the uniform position in all the circuits, all the circuits that had this question before the fourth, read it the way the government is urging. So counsel, I think, would have been highly irresponsible to advise Mr. Hayes that he would be home free simply because his own state didn't have a separate Domestic violence. And, Justice Ginsburg, the only reason I say that in this particular case is because Mr. Hayes was in 1993-19 and was pled in 1994, which was prior to enactment of this statute and or any of the um, circuit court opinions. So that was my — that was the reason for my answer that um, in Mr. Hayes's case that it would have been very simple and no one would have looked to those issues because they didn't exist. Um, to bring to the uh, — to answer one of the questions from the Chief Justice with respect to um, what states may have had these laws in 1996, on page 24 of the government's uh, merits brief, uh, the footnote number 9 denotes 
footnote number nine denotes the states, which include Alabama, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Maine, North Carolina, and the like, um, Kansas and Mississippi. I'm, I'm sorry, is that the right list? That, that statute's passed after 1996. I looked at the amicus brief filed by the National Network, page 18, footnote 53, and I see California, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio. Which is the right list? And, what, and that is the right list, uh, Chief Justice, and that includes West Virginia in the 1996 um, that was passed. And that is there on uh, footnote number 53, just so it's correct. For Our reading of the statute is more reasonable than the government's. Certainly with respect to the variances of the grammatical errors and the grammatical leaps that the government must take in order to substantiate its reading of the statute, we believe that Ours is more reasonable. Likewise, the legislative history in this particular case is very weak. And if this Court even considers it, then I think you can take a look with respect to the text, the structure, the purpose, and the history, and determine. Let me be sure I understand the legislative history correctly in a broad sense. The text of the bill as originally introduced in the Senate uh, favors the government. Is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. And there was a change made in the House in the form of an amendment to that bill, or was it a separate bill introduced in the House? It was not a separate bill. There was, there was, no, committee, uh, there was no committee substitute. There was no committee hearings. It, it just um, it, it enacted it, a different text. Yes, they did. Held. And then is, and the, without explanation. And then the bill went back to the Senate. As I understand it, it was approved in the form enacted by the House without, with only that one comment. That it, with only, yes, and that, and that comment did not speak, the comment of the sponsor did not speak with respect to the domestic violence, the domestic relationship uh, element. Thank you. But he did say that he agreed to the change. He did say that he agreed to the change. And that he also said, though, that he, that the bill, the new bill made it more precise and broader, uh, which was a, which was a quote, uh, from the sponsor. If there are no further questions, we have to. Just be sure. But under your view, it actually made it narrower. Yes. Yeah. If there are no further questions, uh, respondent asks that the uh, court affirm the judgment of the. Excuse me. Un under anybody's view, it made it narrow. Under Luttenberg's view, it made it narrow. Uh, other than he said the words that it made it more precise and broader. Um, How did it make it broader? I mean, it, 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 it used to cover uh, I, I don't cutting, cutting a credit card. And it now, I, it I no believe that the, does. the text of the statute, as, as enacted, is, makes it more narrow. Of course it does. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Ms. Saharsky, six minutes. Thank you. In this case, the Court has a choice between either reading the statute in a way that uses the words very unnaturally and unusually, committed by to modify use, an element treating a singular as plural, well, and the word committed would — Well, if I could stop you there, 
The very first sentence in the United States Code, 1 U.S.C. Section 1, says the singular includes the plural. Right. And this Court has said that you do that only when two things are true, when it makes sense in context, and we think it doesn't because of the word committed, which Respondent wants to read right out of the statute, and also because you do it when it's necessary to fulfill the evident purposes of the statute. And here, for the reasons we explained, treating the singular as plural would be contrary to the purposes of the statute. I know, but basically what you're saying is we don't follow 1 U.S.C. Section 1 because our reading is correct. They said, well, it doesn't you know, in context and doesn't fulfill the purposes, and therefore we read element as singular only rather than according to Section 1 of the United States Code. It's because the element, the singular element, has other indicia of meaning that involve the word committed, and then also this, right. ob- the, the fact that Congress's objective would be stymied if you took respondents' reading. So you've got a choice between this using the words unnaturally, committed by, taking committed and just making it superfluous in respondents' view, or treating the singular element as plural, or you can give, as the government is suggesting, the words a natural and logical reading that you're talking about an offense of this certain violent character committed by these certain people, and yes, that involves looking slightly past the Romanet 1 and 2 structure to look at this as being two clauses that both modify the word offense. You and the have way to that add words. There, it is unavoidable. To come to your reading, you must add words to the statute. To adopt the reading of the other side, on the other hand, you need not add a single word. You just have to resign yourself to the, uh, to the usage that is unusual but not unheard of that a particular uh, use was committed. And uh, the other side gives a number of examples, as does the brief by, 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 by linguists, a number of examples where, where that appears. So it's an unusual usage, but not an unheard of usage. They don't have to add a single word or a single hard break in the text. You have to, to get to, get to your construction. With respect, Justice Scalia, we don't agree with that. And I'll, I'll give you two uh, illustrations that hopefully would help establish that point. One, if you just read this all as a sentence, with, without respect to the, the, Roman, the Romanettes 1 and 2, you have an offense that is a misdemeanor and has as an element committed by a certain group of persons. That reads as a sentence. There is an offense of a certain type committed by a certain group of persons. For Second, that, you have, to, you have to assume this, that the... The GS-12 graft after, after this, or whatever the equivalent was in the Senate, put the that in the wrong place. If he had put the that after the little Roman numeral one when he broke it down, it would all read as a sentence. The that would be for the first part, and he'd say felony committed for the part that interests us. Does that work? I think it would read better that way. I think that it would read this all as a sentence. You'd have to put a that at the beginning of little two as well, wouldn't you? Again, I think if you just I, — I don't think you need to do that. I think you can just read through this all as one sentence. And we looked at that previous — well, you were talking with the Respondents' Council. You looked at that previous version of the bill Congress considered, and it just had it all as one sentence. It said, an offense of this certain character committed by this certain group of persons. And that same structure is in, in the statute as enacted, and that shows that the committed by refers back to offense. I'm, and to get back to the point I opened with, you know, the way that you choose between the, the two constructions in this case is to look at what Congress would achieve under Respondents' construction of the statute, which is a statute that applies only in 17 states. Now, not again, to just not to beat a dead horse here, but it's footnote 8 of your brief on page 23 that lists the 17 states. They include California, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Virginia. That wouldn't be a useless act by Congress to cover everybody in those states. 
No, but it wouldn't be consistent with what Congress was intending, which is to solve the nationwide problem that every person who proved that they were willing to hurt their family members should not be able to possess a firearm, whether they're a felon or whether they were convicted of a misdemeanor. And that was the problem that I know, but your point was this doesn't do any good because it's only 17 states. Those are — there are a lot of people in those states. Right, but some persons in those states who commit the same types of offenses, as Justice Ginsburg pointed out, you know, they commit the same violent acts against family members. Some of them would be prosecuted under the regular, under a specific domestic violence statute, but some would be prosecuted under regular assault and battery statute. And it, and it doesn't make any sense in those same states to treat some people as being subject to the possession ban and some people as not being subject to that it possession ban. It makes it ban. easier to identify it. You don't have to go back and look to see whether this particular assault conviction was an assault of a family member or not. It's there on the face of the indictment. That's well, pretty important, it seems to me. With respect, Justice Scalia, you can't just tell from the face of the state indictment whether you would not be able to possess a firearm under federal law, because the domestic relationships covered by the state offenses, it is a broader universe in each of those 17 states. More domestic relationships are covered than are covered by the federal statute. So you could have been convicted in one of those 17 states of a specific domestic violence offense, and still that would not necessarily be the case that you couldn't possess a firearm under federal law, because they cover, for example, dating relationships. I understand the, the notice concerns you've raised, but just to get back to it, one other point that came up with Respondent's Counsel, when a person wants to buy a firearm, he fills out this particular form, Form 4473, and that form specifically says on it that offenses like assault and battery are covered. The ATF regulation that's been in place since this statute was enacted says that those that offenses such as assault and battery are covered. In fact, all the courts of appeals up until recently, nine of them had this settled understanding, aside from the ATF having it, Congress relied upon it, and we think that it makes sense. You should reverse the judgment below. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.